Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay, from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, how are you doing, Josh? Good, Christian. Good to see you. Good to see you. And today there is no button-pushing guy, so-called trusty, dusty research extraordinaire, Jason Rugg, <laughs> turns out we don't need Jason after all. So <laughs> here we are. But instead, we have a special guest. We have sound post guy, the amazing Jason Hoban. Jason, thanks for being on the show. Oh, I got a phone call. I got to I gotta take this. <laughs> you know, you just never know what's going to happen on our podcast. No right. problem, Josh. It's spam. Uh, it says it's spam. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry, let me do that again. The awesome, amazing sound guy, post guy, Jason Hoban. Hi, everybody. Hi, Jason. Nice to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we talked about this for a long time. We've talked a lot about location sound, but we hadn't talked a lot about what your bread and butter is, and that's post-production sound. So uh, we'll dig into that in just a little bit. But Sounds first, great. Christian, let's get a film update. What's going on? Yeah, so this week's been kind of a quiet week. Um, what I do know is that um, that Virgil Films and FFS have come up with uh, you know an agreement where Virgil Films is going to be able to go out and pitch the girl who wore freedom. So we're excited about that. Uh, I think there's a, a in-person meeting coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. So uh, that Virgil that's, Films has, and so that's it looks. Time. Yeah, it's really big time. They're going to um, pitch the Girly War Freedom and the Brave Dutch sort of at the same time. So that's exciting. I'm very, very happy for that development. That's so wait. Oh, okay. So they had to get the agreement with Virgil for Girly War Freedom, but they can do Brave Dutch on their own. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. So that's exciting. Uh, a little bit of uh, disappointing news. Um, I did think that the L'Oreal event, at least I would be in person with a group of in-person people in New York presenting the film to L'Oreal at large, but it looks like um, they've scaled that back even more. So now every single thing for L'Oreal is going to be virtual. And that's so hard for me when um, <laughs> I know <laughs> the power of this um film, I think, is in the collective viewing experience. Uh, there just is nothing like being in an audience watching this film, you know, with other people, uh, especially if you have French people and World War II veterans there, any of our cast members. It's a very um, impactful, you know, experience. And so it's very hard for me to think well, that that's going to be virtual. Did the option to postpone come up? No, it never was an option to postpone. I think because they were so dug in, um, this is the Veterans Business Resource Group. They were so bought into doing um, this you know, film with this group and we got far down the road with the planning of an in-person event. And I think it was too late to kind of shift gears and go in any other direction. So I'm sure it will be wonderful as it is and so we're gonna and i know they are super committed to making it as best it can be um everybody's just not happy you know with the COVID situation 
Um, but I respect them for taking it seriously. I respect them for um, trying to do something uh, in light of the challenging circumstances. So that means a lot to me. And it does mean that more people will see the film. So that's awesome. All right. Positive attitude. That's the way to go. Okay. Yeah. Any, any other updates? Uh, Brave Dutch, Girl War Freedom? So no, not a, not much has been happening with the Girl of War Freedom other than these other events. Um, I did have a couple of people reach out to me, about four other people, asking to schedule events in the future. So I'm encouraged about that. And then um, we are still putting the finishing touches on the Brave Dutch pitch. And, you know, still kind of going forward with uh, with that, because that will be pitched at the same time, you know, as the Girl of War Freedom in November. So, um, yeah. So really, my biggest challenge over the last couple of weeks has been trying to figure out how to work um, in a in and around a home that's in complete and total devastation. <laughs> um, and well, that, that's your fault. That, you, I, you it is my fault. I deserve this. I deserve this challenge, but I will tell you, I've thought the entire time that it's very much like building a film. Like I've only, you know, I was gone for a month. My husband was living through this by himself. Poor guy. Now that I've been home, I have been like project managing the project managers. And I've been going back and forth between my husband, who is the executive producer uh, and myself. <laughs> and, um, I am, you know, working constantly with an interior designer as well as, you know, all sorts of contractors and other outside people. And I am managing time, people, money, expectations, you know, supply chain issues. And I'm like, this whole thing, it's, it's a big project where in the end result, you will have a product. You're all working together in the same boat, striving towards the same thing. You're solving a million problems a day. You know, the biggest one currently is that the backsplash that my husband loves is now discontinued. And we've been to like six different <laughs> stores, you know, to find a stupid backsplash, you know, and it's, I'm sitting here going, my goodness gracious, this is so much like birthing a film, you know, it, there are just so many elements that are similar. So I feel like I'm reliving that all over again. And it makes me wonder, hmm, do I really want to do another one of these? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, one of the great pleasures of doing a film was meeting people like you, Jason Hoban, and getting to work with you and learn from you. And I do have to say, um, you have been a champ through this entire process. You know, we threw you in in location sound, which your expertise is in, you know, post-production sound. That's where all your years of experience have been. You had done location sound, but to the, but I don't think to the scale that we threw you in. Um, and we've talked about that before in previous podcasts. If you're interested in hearing that, you can look up earlier podcasts with Jason. Um, but you really were stuck with us for a much longer time with the post-production <laughs> in a very stressful and challenging situation. And it was my fault. I will take responsibility for that. Thank you for continuing to still talk to me. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. So why don't you talk about your experience with this film in light of the post-production process? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say thank you very much. The feelings are very mutual. I've, I've made some very great relationships and lasting ones. It's been a journey that's very close to my heart because I'm a veteran. And uh, yeah, I've just had so many meaningful experiences and memories come out of this that 
I, I'm excited. I'm really excited to see what the Brave Dutch becomes because <laughs> like you said, we, you and I started this when you were, I think you had just went to France and you were putting together a trailer and then you got in touch with me and then things spiraled out of control. I'm in <laughs> Normandy, France <laughs> doing location and going through all these crazy situations, but um, it was a lot of fun. And then the post-production, yeah, it definitely did not prepare me for what I was getting into in that area because I think at one point you had to submit a cut like really quickly. So like there's like a week or two where I just lived at the studio. I was like sleeping on the couch, getting up, working on the documentary until I was just absolutely tired and couldn't do it anymore. And just so we can get that turned around really quickly. We did. It went really well. And then I finally got like more chances to spend a lot more time on it. And yeah, the post-production was a lot of fun. Um, especially because I couldn't complain about the location guy, right? Because <laughs> any problems that <laughs> were there were back on me. So um, the it was cool. You know, we captured your VO. We worked closely on that. And, you know, that's where our, our friendship started. So it was cool to do that with you. I had a yeah, lot of fun. Let's re, let's just sit, let's just back up just a little bit. So Jason and I did meet because he worked at CRC. I at the time was working for edge studio and we edge studio is a studio in New York that trains uh, voiceover actors. And I was teaching an introduction to voiceover class. And at one of my classes, Jason was my engineer and we hit it off in that first class. And then I never wanted to work with any other ones. And uh, we just had this good chemistry of working together. And that led me, then when I found out you were a veteran, I was like, oh my goodness, you have to <laughs> do this job. Um, and so that was, that was the beginning of our partnership. I do think, um, you know, what I loved about your adventurous spirit in the beginning was, you know, when I asked you to do location sound, cause I really wanted you to come with us. Uh, you were so willing to to try to do that. And even though it was going to be insane, your adventurous spirit just kind of took over. Um, so, so that was just amazing. And then we did have times where I asked you to make some demos from, you know, for me. So there were time in the studio where you would coach me. Uh, you are a great VO coach, because you've done a lot of commercials. So if anybody's ever looking for a VO coach or somebody <laughs> to do your demo, I highly recommend Jason. Uh, but yeah, so we worked on that. So the VO part of it, you, me and Bill Liebel kind of worked on that together with what it would sound like. And um, you had to integrate that in with so many other things. What else goes on in the post-production process? Yeah, I mean, in post, it's pretty much putting everything that you would think would be there back in there. All the little things, sound effects, even just ambiences, they're not naturally there because you can't really capture that on location or in the field because most of the time the environment's very noisy and there's all these issues with the audio. So we go back in and we put it in post-production because it's cleaner, it sounds better and all of that. So we put in all the voiceover, we put in the ambiences, and then my favorite part was doing the sound design on the archival footage. You know, anytime we'd get clips, they were just completely silent. So it took a little bit of research and integrating like actual sounds. Like when we were in Normandy, we would capture the actual vehicles themselves, the C-130s, things like the planes flying over. So it was really cool to you know, we didn't use maybe what we were seeing on those clips, but using the actual audio that created those clips. So I remember you at one point, like hanging off a Jeep 
recording, you know, the sound <laughs> as it's driving through puddles and things like that. So, um, yeah, that was interesting to watch you grab all those sound effect things, you know, as you were the location guy, um, you know, but how did you, what I've always wondered, first of all, I never knew you slept on your couch to get that first cut done. That's new information for me. Hat, <laughs> hats off to you. Um, but yeah, the first push that we did, we needed to get to Normandy and that really, that cut really took place between May, I'm sorry, um, April, April of 2019 to the end of May, 2019. Right. That's ridiculous. It was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did the writing in March. We did the writing. In, I mean, let's just review this timeline. I remember February 19th in 2019, getting the first cut and being like, oh, this is terrible, you know, in my bathroom crying. Then Jeremy's like, you should go see Bill. So I went to, you know, Tennessee. I thought I'd be there a week. I ended up being there six weeks. So from the end of February, all through March to the beginning of April, I was working and writing to get this cut done. And that was a two hour cut. And once, or actually it was a two and a half hour cut. And so then we had to get it down to two hours and then get it to you. And, you know, everybody knows that the sound guy, or maybe they don't, but the sound guy always gets dumped on. It's always like, you know, the rest of the team pushes it to the very last minute. And then they're like, okay, here you go, Jason, you have a day. <laughs> right. That was, that was such a crazy process because Bill, I mean, Bill was great. He was doing all he could to help me. I mean, everybody was. So we were actually, you would get like part one done, send it over to me. I would start mixing, sound designing, editing and everything. Then, then I would get part two and I would start on start on part two while you were working on part three and it was you know very challenging because things would change in part one so everything would shift and then you'd have to try to get everything in line and sync from part one to part two to part three and yeah it was a that was a marathon of editing mixing and sound design for sure that was a crazy month it was and you know that is not the way it is supposed to work so <laughs> just wanted to lay that out there. I know that. Um, how is it typically supposed to work, Jason, when you're doing sound design for a film? In a perfect world, how would you want it to go? What would you want a director to do? Yeah, so usually when we when you get to post and audio, everything's locked, right? There's the little things like maybe color needs to be done or something like that. But for the most part, the edit's locked. So then nothing's going to change on you. It's not really going to affect your timings. And that was the most challenging aspect because when, you know, something would change in act one, it would just affect all the timings throughout all the other acts. So in a perfect world, picture would be locked. We'd get it, sound design, producers or the creatives would review what needs to be added, what needs to be modified, changed or so on. And then that, that becomes a teamwork process. You, everyone gets in the studio, we start reviewing the mix together and then making adjustments as a team. And that's where we, opened up our next can of worms because by this time COVID was ramping up and we, you know, a Bill's what in Tennessee, Jeff's in California, uh, you're on the other side of Chicago. So we were all kind of spread out. And then just also the safety concerns of everybody getting in the same space and being able to do this. So that was our biggest challenge after everything. And then 
even more so when we're in the studio, we're listening on the, the same source, you know, and we're, we're able to hear things clearly where, you know, just depending on what you were listening to. I remember one time we were doing like different levels, like TV broadcast theater and stuff like that. So at one point we were all listening to something different. So one person felt something was really loud. Someone felt things were too soft and subtle. So there were all of these unique challenges that we, we, we worked through and we got a process down in the end. And yeah, I gained a lot from that experience. Yeah. I think um, as I look back, it was not only was it super challenging because we didn't give you a full, you know, fully done film, we we knew you were going to be slammed. We didn't want you to have zero idea and at the last minute have, you know, a two-hour film to fix. Um, so that's why we would deliver it to you in tranches. Uh, but you then had that two-hour cut done that we took to Normandy. And the interesting thing there is we had no idea how it was going to sound in France. And the strange thing was, you know, and I learned this by doing all these screenings, your sound can be the same in the studio and sound great in the studio. But when you go to different theaters, depending on what the setup is, it's going to sound different. And so in some, it sounded so crappy. The very first you know theater we were in, which will not be named, it was so horrible. I thought Jeff and I were in there together and we're like, this sounds terrible. <laughs> uh, but then we get to the D-Day experience, which was the best sound. It's almost like an IMAX type of theater. And I was like, wow, this sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, and so it, it, I learned that day that it really is you know, depending on what you play it on, it sounds different. And that's why um, not being able to be together by the very end. So just if you've never listened to this before, we had a two hour cut and then we came back and we showed it around the United States trying to raise money to continue finishing the film. And every time we'd also get feedback and make cuts. So it took us a while to get it back to, you know, uh, 89 minutes. Well, every time you make a cut, it has to go back to Jason, who then has to redo the sound. So that happened many times before our you know, absolute final edit. And I remember all the way along going, well, when we get to the final, 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 um, <laughs> we're all going to be in the studio together. Because what we did learn was that everybody in their own little office has their own speakers. You know, they have their own, uh, like, they're in their own room. That determines what it sounds like. And so it is impossible as a team to listen to, you know, a film you know, soundtrack and hear the same thing if you're not in the same room on the same speakers. And so that was our plan. And then it did not happen uh, because of COVID. We were never able to get together. And I do think that was one of the very hardest parts of this project for me was that we could not all be in the same room at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I lean on that in the post-production. Like I don't, right. A mix to me is finished when I get all the input and feedback from all every creative, the director, producer, because there's so much, you know, when you're working on it, there's some things that will stand out to others that just don't register on to your ears or whatever. So my mixes always get better when I work with the team. And yeah, that was 
it was really challenging because, you know, people would have different feedback because the environment, their listening source was so radically different. Some would think the voice was too high, too low. The music was too loud or too little. It, it just, it, it created a very tough situation. And then I, I think we got around it for the most part, but yeah. And, you know, in the future, it's, we definitely need to be in the same room. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a takeaway now for, you know, the virtual film company world, you know, truthfully, we were a virtual film company. We did everything remotely other than, you know, when we were in principal photography and for the most part, it worked and we made that work. There were tools that we could work around. I think this is one area where you cannot really work around it. I mean, we did the best we could with what we had, and I think that it does sound better than I ever thought it would, but, um, you know, people can should not ever skip that part. I think that's so incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. We found workarounds to, to make things work, but yeah, it, there's just so many factors that can change that. Just the room itself, like you were talking about the theaters, just the, the quality of the room, the system itself can greatly affect and shape the sound. So, um, yeah, it's not something you can really fully get by with unless you can get in the same room in a, in a good environment. Yeah. So, Josh, as you're listening to this, do any uh, questions pop up in your mind about this post-production process? Well, a comment and then a question. I mean, you know, it's, you know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of stuff in film gets the glory before, you know, the sound guy does or the editor or the or lighting or whatever, because it's the director, it's the actors, it's the writers, because that's what people can relate to the most. But if there's poor sound quality, it just stands, it stands out like a sore thumb. And so you don't always know you're, just as a novice, someone who just goes to the movies, you don't always know that you're listening, you know, to, you know, a masterpiece when it comes to, you know, sound quality and sound editing and post-production and things like that. And, and that always comes, you know, to the forefront, like in the Academy Awards and like when they're giving out awards for sound editing and sound, whatever, and people are like, what? <laughs> it just shows people don't know. And, uh, but just to say that this is such an important thing that your your film will be ruined if it sounds terrible, and everything you did will be pointless. Um, I, I just I was just curious, uh, and we can do this later if you want. I was just curious more about Jason's background and how he got into this. Oh, let's do it. Go on, Jason. <laughs> okay, this is kind of cheesy, but uh, I joke because. Um, when my mom got pregnant with me, she was working at a record factory and where they pressed vinyl and everything. And because she was pregnant, she couldn't be out on the line pressing and all that. So they put her in quality control where she would listen to the masters and then approve those for, for the press. So I started jamming out at a really young age, you know, everything <laughs> was coming in like this, but I got a good sense of what it sounded like. Um, but that's my, that's my joke. I never heard that. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I always grew up in that type of environment, listening to records, cassettes, and 
always wanted to be a musician or rock star and all those cool things. I got tattoos because I thought it would be my only way that I could get a job if I was all tatted up like a rock star and stuff. But um, you are a rock yeah. star, Jason. <laughs> Thank you. I uh, know I always had those uh, ambitions and dreams. And uh, when I was in college, I kind of realized that I started out in creative writing and all these other things. And I just couldn't land on anything that felt meaningful. And then uh, after spending some good time with my very close friend who went off into the military, he said, hey, this could help you afford the the chance to do to do the things you want to do. And so I went into the military, learned a lot of great things and was like, you know what, if I can do this, be in the military and be a, be a fighter aircraft mechanic, then I can for sure pursue my dreams and in, in sound and audio mixing and all of that. So when I finished my enlistment, I went right into school for the recording arts, and here I am today. So what, what kind of projects, when you're not working on the Girl War Freedom, what are you doing? Yeah, I, um, I work, I do like contract work with a country, with a company called Animated Storyboard. So I do a lot of animations there. Um, I started a uh, business called Bounce Sound Studios with an engineer from Chicago. Chicago Recording Company, where we do a lot of commercial work. So um, we've done film work as well. And pretty much everything in between from audiobooks to podcasts and anything, you, pretty much anything you can think of that makes sounds. We've worked on arcade games, we've worked on toys for children. Um, if it makes noise, we'll, we'll have something to do with it. <laughs> so what, like, what, what's your dream project? And it can't be the girl of our freedom. What, what, what do you want? What do you really, you know, like oh if i could be doing this stuff man that would be uh yeah honestly i i i i know you said i can't say it but uh film work i love it i just love the the detail the work i love doing animations those are a lot of fun because you get this like hyper realistic world and you're not kind of limited to to so many things that you're you know with advertisements that are like realistic shots and things like that but yeah film film work and meaningful film work where i worked with veterans and stuff like that that was really cool so so you mean the brave dutch. animations the brave dutch is your dream project <laughs> the, the brave dutch this is pulling me in right now <laughs> oh man yeah. So Jason, talk a little bit about, you know, um, in post sound, let's break down exactly what that means for people that are not in the film industry. Yeah. So post-production means like kind of after the fact, right? So we're not recording or anything like that. We're just bringing in what needs to be there. So like if you're listening to this podcast, it, it sounds great and stuff, but at the beginning, the music just doesn't come out of nowhere and then when the music finishes the show it doesn't just happen right so i bring yeah, let's these talk things. about that actually because jason does produce the he does the post-production for documentary first broadcast so this will be really easy for our listeners to understand so uh let's take it from when i say okay jason i've uploaded the video file from zoom onto our google drive what do you do next yeah, so I bring in the audio files, I bring it in with the picture, I sync it up, make sure everything's in line, that you don't have this type of like mouth movement and then delayed audio where it sounds like things are all over the place. 
I add in music, I reduce some of the noise, you know, there's stuff that I can't, I'm limited to because of the internet recordings, you get like digital artifacts and things like that. So I try to calm things down like that, remove some of the noise, and then yeah, I bring in the music and, and the intro, the outro, and uh, add some, you know, if there's sound design elements, we don't really do it on this, this podcast, but there are some where I add some like textures throughout the show. Yeah. And um, we really appreciate that you do that every week. That means a lot. Thank you very much. So think back to the girl who wore freedom, right? So this film is an 89 minute film. You have music that's there. You have voiceover that's there. You have interviews with experts and survivors and veterans. You have archival photos. You have archival video. Um, and then a score. So talk about, you know, I mean, and start with you bring all of those things into what kind of program you're working on your computer, but what are you working with? What can, what setup do you have? Yeah, I bring everything into Pro Tools. That's where I do all my editing and mixing. So we bring in the voice, we clean it up, we kind of normalize it or bring it to a, a, a level that's, uh, great for listening. We bring in ambiences and sound effects if they're needed. And then we add the music in it. And we find this balance between the voice, sound effects and music that where everything feels cohesive. The music isn't drowning the voice. The voice can be heard over the sound effects. And then knowing how to deliver that those final files. So when they are played back on a computer in a theater or earbuds, that they're at a level that'll that are perform properly because if you try to take a mix for tv and play it in theater i think we we almost had that happen once right they're like this mix is really loud <laughs> <laughs> or or vice versa you'll have all these like listening problems and so um there's a lot of technical uh understandings that go into it as well so just they when it Audio engineers were originally called balance engineers because they found that uh, balance between everything. And so when there was playback, you could hear it properly. Yeah. And I think, why don't you name some of the typical standard mixes that you output for a production company? So we, the film is done. We send you the film. You like uh, do all the sound treatment for everything. You balance out all of those things then you're done what do you do with that yeah so when it's all finished it's so yeah i deliver for streaming broadcast for like television theater um some web platforms it's a little bit it's getting a little bit more cohesive but in the past couple of years that's really improved but before then it was kind of like the wild wild west and back in the day they used to have the loudness wars right the louder your mix was it was better Better than everyone else and now you have like just different mediums that have different loudness standards so something that you would hear online will be radically different than something you hear from your tv versus something you would hear in theaters so knowing how those mixes translate and what those specs need to be is kind of like this fine dance where you got to just kind of get everything into that balance so i have a random question for you is your job art or science both it's both like you, you, yeah you bring a lot of creative you so 
it's like what comes first a chicken or, or the egg right some of my creative moves are based out of my technical and and my understanding of how sound propagates and works right so it helped having that technical or scientific understanding helps me be creative but also there's ways that i'm creative that don't have anything to do with it but in the end it kind of does because you have to understand how things are going to play out technically mm, okay so can you think of an instance i have an instance in my mind but i'm going to ask you if you have an instance in your mind in our film where your art and science kind of came together in one of your most creative, you know, things that you did in our film. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's the story where, um, give me his name. Michel de Valivier. Yes. When his father was talking about the, seeing the troops in the field and he was mistakenly shot. And we have this kind of, segue from the interview into the archival footage with his father speaking of that very moment when we go to black i paint that picture with sound you we use some of uh the audio from his archival footage from what he said and then we kind of repainted that picture we hear the shots fired we hear someone fall and then we have this kind of nice transition into him telling that story yeah it was it was super um, risky because you didn't talk to me about this idea. You just presented it to me. And basically, uh, to fill you in on what he's talking about, one of our um, main characters, his name is Charles de Valaviel. He was the um, uh, son of the man that started the Utah Beach Museum, Michel de Valavier. And Michelle was at Braycore Manor. Many people know Braycore Manor from um, Band of Brothers. It's the farm that Dick Winters and his little guys of Easy Company liberated. And that morning, um, Charles de Valavier's father, Michelle, came out of his house after the um, farm was liberated, saying, you know, he was a Frenchman. Um, and the guys of Easy Company actually shot him in the back five times and he tells that story and of course in the video footage that we have there's nothing there's no music uh there's no sound there's nothing um and so we tell that story but we have jeff designed a cool like tense score there and you know we hear him say he was shot in the back five times well we have a long long uh, digression and we like kind of cut right at the end of him getting shot in, in the back five times. And we don't finish telling that story. We move on, tell a whole bunch of other things, and then we come back to it later. So we wanted to find some way to bridge those two stories together and remind people what he had been talking about. And so instead of doing that with words, Jason did it with sound. And so in the blackness, before Michelle de Valivier comes back up, you hear five shots, a body drop. And then we come back on Michelle de Valivier and he continues telling the story of what happened to him. So, yeah, I thought that was your most powerful creative moment in the film. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was... Um... Just something that kind of, you know, when when you hold something so close, you kind of get immersed in it. And it just felt like there was a good opportunity to help tell the story there. And that's ultimately what you want sound to do. You don't want it to really overpower. There, 
sure, everybody gets their moment to stand forward, right? Maybe the mix drives the film for a moment, maybe the visuals or the score itself. So it was just a good opportunity to help tell that story. And I remember, I remember it so clear because we, we went back and forth on a little bit because we hear him say Frenchman and then the shots are fired. And you and I were like, wait, are there five or are there six? And we had to go back in and we were counting the waveforms. We're like, all right, there are <laughs> definitely five. No, 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 there's six. <laughs> yeah, we always had to make sure. I don't know. What do you think about that, Josh? Uh, I'm glad I don't work in post. <laughs> That's a lot of fun, but it does get crazy. I've made all kinds of people, right? Yeah. There's post people, there's pre-production people, there's management people, there's the artists. Yeah. Lots of different places that you can go. I'm not going to post. <laughs> yeah, it's so challenging. And I, I remember, too, having to – another thing that I – wanted to do was bring um some sort of sound elements into some of our archival one of the ones that we went back and forth on a lot were um the photos so there were photos of children in particular and i don't know i just kept hearing and wanting some ambient noises of children or you know when they were talking about being fed in the mess hall you know i wanted to hear like 10 spoons and whatever and um and that's kind of what a director does it's like well i want to set this stage and i don't want to do it just with visuals i also want to set it with you know some sound effects so that i can create a more lifelike environment so with these archival photos they're very flat Oftentimes, cinematically, you can do certain types of moves on photos to make them come to life, um, but you can also then use sound to bring them to life too, right, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. I know. I, I remember I kind of pushed back on that because I'm like, a, sometimes I can be, you can get kind of like locked into your ways. I was like, we're not seeing any type of movement or action. I feel like it's going to make things noisy here. We have the score. And you're like, like just try it out for me i'm like absolutely we tried it out and i'm like this works great so <laughs> that's when you definitely on projects like this you really do lean on a lot of people and i did lean on you bill and jeff because yeah when you're so close you sometimes your ears are only hearing one thing and then somebody opens up something and you learn something new and you discover something you can do differently and it becomes it's a very fun creative process the, yeah, this, I, the biggest advice I could say is don't be stubborn in those moments. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I was going to ask you that. If you're talking to somebody right now who is wanting to do sound design, what your what would your advice be to them? Just get out there and start doing it. Have fun. I got my start designing like video game trailers. I would see something that I thought looked really fun. I was, it was very hyper-realistic, so I, I wasn't limited to anything. And I would just start working on those things. And then I would ask people what they think. And they'd be like, oh, you should do this here. You should try that. And it would be things that I've never thought to do. And, and then I would start looking into like legendary sound designer, like Ben Burt and guys like that, that helped design things like Star Wars and WALL-E. And you, you'd see some of the creative things that they would do. And you're like, wow, I would have never thought to do that. And sometimes just presenting something to someone, sharing it with them, they may call out something like that. They may be like, oh, this would sound cool if this was happening. Or So 
get to work, share your work and try the things people want to hear. You know, don't be set in your ways. Don't think that you have the golden years because it, like I said, my mixes are 100% better and they're at their best when everybody's leaned in and put some type of input in there. Great advice. Uh, if you had to list your top five sound design uh, heroes, who would they be? Or even a three, uh, pick your own number. Oh my gosh. Um, well, Ben Burt, he's a legend. Um, I, I couldn't even, Should I don't we even just know stick where to with start. Him? <laughs> I think, you know, when I think of sound design, I always think of Ben, but a lot of like George, um, I almost said George Harrison, but a lot of the engineers with the Beatles and stuff, they did so many revolutionary things. And so I tend to like try a lot of things out of the music engineers as well, music producers, because they're, they're just as creative, you know, it's music and posts are very different. You know, just because I do uh, sound for film doesn't mean I will do sound for like, I couldn't necessarily mix your record. That's not where I've spent all my years. I do that for fun, but you mixing for a film is so radically different than mixing a rock track or a pop track or anything like that. So my specialty is in, in film, but I definitely take a lot from the music guys as well. And then if you had advice to give to directors, what would you think about what a director needs to know about working with a sound, a post sound designer? Yeah, I would say almost follow, you know, your model. You always kept me in the loop. I was there from the beginning, in the middle of it all, and in the end. So I was very in tune with everything and being able to just be aware of what was going on and then leaning on guys like Bill and Jeff in the process, the the video editor, the composer, uh, just being in the mix of all that really set me up for that last stretch. Yeah, I mean, I really did try to do that. I feel like um, you, Bill, Jeff, and I were the core creative team that really drove this film. And I, I mean, I don't know that sound designers are usually wrapped in that closely, do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I don't I think there's always like a unique dynamic, but I haven't experienced on that that type of intimate level where we were just all so clo closely working together. Yeah. And even today, like I still lean on these guys for things. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like it's been so great that we worked that closely together. And that's I think that's the beauty of our film. I think that it is the sum of all of these parts, you know, the best parts of ourselves, you, you know, in sound, Jeff and the music, you know, Bill with the editing and, um, you know, me with whatever I contributed. I do think that, you know, us all coming together and working that closely um, was the formula that made it work. So thank you for being an integral part of this. You brought your heart, your mind, um, you know, your background knowledge. Um, you know, you were never, ever hesitant. You were a hundred percent, uh, there and, you know, the work that you did under the conditions that you did, it really is remarkable. So thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I have to say that you know, you created that environment, the whole team did. So I was always comfortable and felt confident in doing those things because you guys created that space for me. I've, like I said, this was 
and is one of the most meaningful projects I've been a part of. And I've had so much fun and made so many lasting relationships that I talk to these people and work with a lot of these people on a daily basis to this day. That's awesome. Well, we still, I think, can dive into sound more down the future. Maybe we could talk specifically about sound designing voice, about, you know, sound designing the score. Those could be kind of separate things. But thanks for giving us an overview of, uh, you know, sound design in itself. Josh, do you have any other questions that you've thought of while you've been listening so patiently? Uh, No, this is great. I'm just eating it up. Um, I I do think it'd be interesting to hear the comparison of the two that you just brought up um because there, there are differences and just and just in hearing your experience of telling stories of the woes of post-production and sound and that kind of thing but um yeah why I, don't you think about like your worst nightmares and then we can save those for the next podcast <laughs> <laughs> you got it <laughs> well jason thanks for being on christian is there uh just remind people where to go, where they can learn about the Guerrilla War of Freedom. And I know there's nothing really to learn about the Brave Dutch right now, but there's a website, right? There is a website, thebravedutch.com, where people can sign up to get on our um, news list for when we start sending out more information. Um, but there's really nothing there. We've got to start building that out, actually. Uh, thegirlwarfreedom.com, of course, is there for, um, you know, we've got the shop and we've got blogs and we've got the podcast, obviously. And uh, a place to donate if anyone is interested in doing that. And uh, yeah, you know, I just would encourage people to kind of stick with us. We are still moving in a forward direction, whether it's with the Girl of War Freedom or the Brave Dutch. We've appreciated you listening. We want to connect with you in any way that's possible. Uh, So if you want to email, you can email at Christian at um, NormandyStories.com. You could uh, find us on Patreon, um, and that would be patreon.com slash doc first. I think it's doc first or documentary first. I don't know. Our button pushing guy is not here. Uh, And yeah, so you can interface with us there. And we would love to have your questions. If you have questions for us and you want to talk to us about some different things or you want us to have different people on from the film, please let us know that. Uh, Because we do like to listen to our listeners. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you two for being here. Josh, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, well, let's say goodbye. And uh, like Christian said, thanks for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about the girl who wore freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.